Alleluia, 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 Alleluia. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons, through which we cry, Abba, Father. Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. Glory to you, Lord. Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, even as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone in debt to us, and do not subject us to the final test. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Those of you that have been in the rectory at Christ the King have likely seen this. Those of you who have not, come on over sometime. There is a battered old photograph in a kind of a, an unfortunate frame um, at the foot of the stairs next to the front door. And in the photograph uh, stands my father, Pat, Bill McCoy, who used to have Sellers Hardware over by the fairgrounds, Monsignor Ligudier, who was out at Granger and founded the Catholic Rural Life Ministry, and Pope John XXIII. It was taken uh, just a week before he called the Second Vatican Council. And I keep it there uh, as a kind of reminder. My dad was just a college kid who's got his first job with Catholic Girl Life and got taken on this trip to Rome when people from Iowa didn't usually do that kind of thing. Bill was in the same kind of a spot. Monsignor Ligudier was actually kind of a big deal, but nobody standing in that picture, least of all, the saint whose feast we keep this day, had any idea what he was in for or the impact of what he was about to do, like what it, what it was going to mean for the rest of us as time went on. And I keep it there by the front door as a kind of daily reminder for myself. I have no idea. Every day I step out that door, what impact the things I say or do or call or command are going to have on the years to come. The Lord's Prayer is written, the, the, the petitions, at least, are written entirely in the present tense. This is very interesting. This is true both in Aramaic and in the, the, the original Greek here. Your name is holy, not shall be, not was, but is in the present. Your kingdom comes it doesn't translate well into English, right? This is, this is the difficulty. But I, like, you know, add, a, add the participle as you're going through and you say it, ing, 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 holy, ing, hallow, ing, forgive, ing, receive, ing, forgive, ing, deliver, ing, okay? So these are, the, 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 these are present and enduring realities. And the prayer of the Christian, especially as we draw near God's altar for Holy Communion, is always loaded here, in the constant remembrance of the presence of God and of the impact that that presence has on the present and the future 
and perhaps made manifest best by looking backwards to the past. Jonah has a hard time with this. He has a plan for how things are supposed to go. I, you know, as we've been doing this this week, um, I, uh, was it, oh, that great Jewish playwright, uh, I'm just, I'm exhausted to be perfectly honest, but okay. So famous, famous Broadway play, late sixties, early seventies, God's favorite. It's the story of Job recast in the 20th century. He should have done Jonah. It would have been funnier. Because, because Jonah, of course, uh, sees Nineveh, knows the problem, Reno, Vegas, whatever, got to tear this stuff down. And he tells us today, his gut knows that God probably isn't going to follow through. And then he gets grumpy because God doesn't follow through. But the thing that I find most remarkable about Jonah's story, and the thing that I take most heart in, is that even Jonah in his stubbornness, even in his insolence or rejection of God's will, his trying to run away to create a different future for himself, God uses that not only for the conversion of Nineveh, but for the conversion of Jonah. It looks like Jonah is redeemed at the outset. That's why he's a prophet sent from God to go announce a message. But of course, if Jonah had been obedient, we have no reason to believe he would have been successful. He wasn't an exceptional orator. It's only because he ran away, got swallowed by the fish, got spit up on the beach, and walked in covered in fish guts that anybody paid any attention to him. Which wouldn't have happened if he hadn't run away. And it's only because the people were actually repentant that God saved the city and so was able to bring about conversion in Jonah. So likewise, with the plant and the worm and the heat, most of us have in our dark moments said, oh, better off dead. We've repeated that refrain, which causes us to look unduly at the past and unhopefully at the future. The wisdom of John the 23rd, whatever it was, was to look at the future with hope. And that might seem starry-eyed to us now, but in those dark days of rebuilding after the war, after the world had ended, to look forward with hope was the bravest thing a person could do. These are not lightsome days ourselves. The world hangs heavy, especially given the situation in the Holy Land, for which we all need fervently to pray, to fast, and do penance. But we should not give in to the temptation to say, we'd be better off dead, or we'd all be better off if God had just blow the whole thing up now and start over. No. No. We just have to be open to God working, even in our faults, even in our temptation, redeeming us even in our sinfulness. Because it was while still sinners, while still enemies of God, that he redeemed us. And so it is still.